So tonight, we're going to cover thousands of years of history. But this is not a history lesson. It's a story. A story about the kindness of God to a people who don't want to hear from him. A God who rescues and perseveres and does not give up on people. It's a story from long ago, from a very particular time in history, in the days of the early church. But it's a story for today. These are living words passed down to us, whether we follow Jesus or not. To get into this passage properly, we're going to imagine ourselves into the shoes of the Sanhedrin. They are the council of priests, including the high priest himself. They're descended from Abraham, their great ancestor. Every single man among the Sanhedrin could trace his family history all the way back to Abraham. The man who had nothing, but to whom God promised everything. He didn't own enough land to put his foot on, but God promised him land. At 75 years old, he had no son. But God promised him descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And not one of the Sanhedrin had a foreskin. They'd been circumcised as babies. A sign that they are set apart for God. That Abraham's promise belongs to them. And then there are the twelve patriarchs. The twelve brothers who are the twelve fathers of the twelve tribes of Israel. All the Sanhedrin are descended from Levi, the set-apart tribe of priests. And the man that the Sanhedrin hold in the highest esteem, Moses. The one who heard from God in the burning bush. The one who rescued Israel out of Egypt. The one who received the law on great slabs of stone. The one who made the tabernacle, the great tent where the people came to meet God. After Moses, the promise of the land came true under Joshua. Finally, Israel had a place to call home. That childless 75-year-old Abraham had become a nation, just as God had promised. And then they had a king as well. And the tabernacle tent was replaced by the great temple Solomon built in Jerusalem. True story, nice story, but not the full story. Are you still imagining Year the Sanhedrin? There's a story going on right now, 2,000 years ago. There's a faction growing and spreading in Jerusalem itself. You were forced to kill their incredible teacher, Jesus, for the good of the people. Because it's better that one man dies for the people than the whole nation perish. He's dead now, but his message isn't dead. It's spreading like wildfire. And now you have Stephen before you. He's from this group, charged with speaking against Moses himself and the law that Moses was given and the very temple you are standing in. But Stephen doesn't defend himself. He just tells a story. The story of his people, 
the story of the Sanhedrin's people. What you're about to hear, what we're about to read together, what Stephen is going to tell you is not new. But there are some things about your story, there are some things your ancestors did that you don't shout about. So, Sanhedrin, this is your story. You know it's true, but you don't want to hear it like this. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance there, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way, For 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and ill-treated. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said. And afterwards they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering. And our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had brought from the sons of Hamar at Shechem, for a certain sum of money. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt had greatly increased. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At that time, Moses was born. And he was no ordinary child. 
For three months he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being ill-treated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defence and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realise that God was using him to rescue them. But they did not. The next day Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was ill-treating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors and he received living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and reveled in what their own hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of the sun, moon and stars. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings for 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have taken up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god Rephan, the idols you made to worship. 
Therefore, I will send you into exile, beyond Babylon. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God's director Moses, according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favour and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. True story. Not a nice story, but a kind story. Sometimes the kindest thing someone can do for you is to tell you what you don't want to hear. Everyone loves someone who agrees with them. We don't always love the truth. We don't always take kindly to hearing what we need to hear. Mix power and authority with someone kind enough to tell you the truth you don't want to hear. And people start to be silenced. Maybe that's selling your brother into slavery, like the patriarchs did with Joseph. 
Maybe that's Estonia. Or in exile. Maybe it's character assassination in the media. Maybe that's discrediting someone with a label that means you don't have to listen to them. Homophobic, sexist, bigot. The thing is, the Sanhedrin's ancestors didn't like Moses. Moses was sent by God to rescue the Israelites, but they didn't realise. They didn't comprehend. They had forgotten God's promise to Abraham that all this was going to happen. That they would live in slavery. That God would come and rescue them. When they forgot the promise, they despaired. Instead of trusting in the God who promised to set them free. After Moses finally did rescue them, they rejected him and the hearts turned back to Egypt. Despite all the signs and wonders he had performed, despite all he had seen, despite having the tabernacle among them. But the Sanhedrin go one better than the tabernacle. They have the temple. They seem to think it's the pinnacle of having God dwell among them. But they've had their hands on their ears. The Lord God does not dwell in a man-made box. They know Isaiah. They've read Isaiah. But they don't heed his words. The Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? So where is God in the story that Stephen tells? He's with Abraham in Mesopotamia. He's with Joseph in Egypt after his brothers betray him. He's providing for that whole family in Canaan in the midst of the famine. He's ready and eager to fulfil his promises through Moses, who he meets in a bush near Mount Sinai. He's ultimately in his son, who comes to be the ultimate expression of God being with us. And the irony is that the very temple the Sanhedrin are standing in speaks against them. It isn't the great temple of Solomon. That temple has had its day. It was destroyed when Israel was sent into exile for disobedience, for turning their backs on God. The Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. You cannot put God in a box. And just to underline that, there's a big tear through the temple curtain. No doubt they're mumbling words like coincidence. They're probably trying to hush up the story and mend the curtain as quickly as they can before anyone notices, before the story gets out. But that, ter- that curtain tore when Jesus died. The way to God is now open to all. Which means that God is not safe. The rules, the law, 
circumcision, the temple, were all about something greater, someone greater. Jesus has given everything. We are always inclined to turn away. We always tend to forget. We pine after the things we've been rescued from. We bring nothing to the table. We can't make a temple fit for our God. We can shove our hands in our ears. We can shout as loud as we want about all sorts of things. We can have blood on our hands for the death of Jesus. But God can deal with all of that. He can especially deal with our hearts. And that's the problem. Stephen has prodded these respected leaders. And out of them has come what was inside. Their actions are actually quite scary. They're screaming and shouting. Gnashing their teeth and throwing stones. The one thing they have to do to prove Stephen wrong to show that they are not like their ancestors, is to put their stones down and stop killing, Jesus mes- stop killing God's messengers. They've killed God's son. You would have thought of all people the Sanhedrin would recognise God had sent Jesus to rescue his people. But they fail, but they fail in the same way their ancestors failed to recognise Moses. They demonstrate that all of Stephen's words are true by executing him. Do you remember when the patriarchs, Joseph's brothers, sold him into slavery? They thought it was the end of him. This is not the end of the church. Large numbers of priests are already following Jesus. We learn that in Acts chapter 6. And God uses this execution to scatter Jesus' followers throughout Judea and Samaria. And he uses Stephen's speech to prepare one young, aspirational leader called Saul. He's there. He hears it all. He is with the Sanhedrin for now. But soon he'll meet Jesus himself. And then everything changes. So what would you do if someone told you your story? Not your nice story. Not your Facebook story. The story of what's going on inside. What if someone told you about all the wrong you've done? Stripped away all the facade. What if God broke out of whatever box you've made for him? Would you cover up the tear in the temple curtain? Or would you bow the knee and accept that Jesus died for you? Do you have your hands on your ears? And what does that mean to you? What are you shouting about so that you can't hear God's voice? Maybe you're saying the Bible contradicts itself. Or this situation is just too hard for me. Or I'm just not good enough. Or my life is just fine the way it is. Ask the Holy Spirit and he will show you what you're shouting about. 
And what is it you don't want him to hear him say? What could he say that would not ultimately bless you if you listen? Will you take your hands from your ears and listen to hear of his kindness to you, his promises, his rescue from whatever holds you in chains? This is a story about the kindness of God to a people who don't want to hear from him. A God who rescues and perseveres and does not give up. A God who is faithful through history. Who sends his own son that we might have life.